0: Now more than ever, during this unprecedented time in history, we have a unique opportunity to learn and grow and evolve. We have taken some time to listen, reflect and better understand so we can help take action. We are committed to continuing our education, listening with open hearts and minds and aligning our actions to be allies within the BIPOC community.
1: Our podcast is still in its infancy. However, our primary goal remains the same to have honest and open conversations about life and to share experiences in hopes that our listeners will feel illuminated to do the same. And right now, the most important conversations involve Black Lives Matter. Join us as we throw shine with two incredible women throughout episode four. All right, we are back with episode four. It's been about three weeks since Lolo and I have sat down to record. And today we're back with two very special guests, our first guests, actually. So this is super exciting. I have butterflies. Um, Lolo, how do you feel and how you been?
0: Girl, my heart is pitter pattering because I am sitting here with our two very special guests and we'll get to them in just a minute. But I've been good. This is such a an unprecedented time. And, you know, you and I spent some time doing a lot of listening and reflecting. And to be honest, I've shed a lot of tears. And I've even shed tears, you know, with, with these two Brits that we have with us. But I'm so excited for us to have the uh, to start this conversation with them. And that the fact that they are our first guest says so much, right?
1: Totally. It's such a gift. And oh, I'm going to get choked up even talking about it. And it's early on. This is going to be a tough one. (laughs) Um, But I I agree. I'm just how lucky are we that we get to sit down and have this conversation. And um, I just couldn't think of two better people to have on as our first guest during this time or any time, really, because once you hear these, beautiful women's bios you're going to be like I want to know them
0: and we do so ha 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 and so (laughs) before we kick things off on who we're sitting with they're going to help us set the stage because we are sticking with our flow and with throw and shine we always kick it off with some tunes so we've asked them let's play some music ladies this is so we don't own the rights to this song unfortunately this has taken me back man
1: i have full body chills
0: oh yes i mean i could listen to this all day on repeat we're going to we're going to stop but i think it's important now that we that that song was played by Britt Caldwell and Britt Northcutt that is who we have here with us today and uh, a couple weeks ago they did a ride for change at Cycle Bar Midtown and uh, they played that song and wow the the ride it, it was probably it's it's a top three ride that I've ever been to it's the best ride I've ever seen them both coach and That's where we started uh, having a more in-depth conversation about what's going on uh, in the world today with Black Lives Matter movement. And we talked about, uh, you know, sitting down together with and adding Jules, you, to this conversation so that we can continue to have what some may perceive as an uncomfortable conversation. So. And I feel like they haven't even said their, vo- their names yet. It's like, we're, <laughs> we're keeping, we're, the suspense is here. So it's building. Hello,
2: ladies. Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone.
1: So I think let's give everybody a little bit of background on the Brits. That's what we've been calling them this week in preparation for this episode. I'm going to read Brits N, Brittany Northcutt's amazing bio. So Britt is a master instructor at Cycle Bar and a personal trainer. She was a division one volleyball player at the University of Georgia. Her passion for coaching group fitness stems from a team-like atmosphere that it creates. Britt believes that anything is possible if you are patient and willing to put in the work. She loves Mexican food and any James Patterson book. Britt, you're so cute. Thanks, Jules. hmm <laughs> <laughs> now I've had the pleasure of meeting Brit a handful of times. Um she's on our master instructor team. She's a an amazing instructor. Um if you've taken any of her classes while you're in quarantine, you know what a treat she is. I am just getting to know Brit C. So Lolo, let's let's hear a little background on her.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Well, we're going to call, we're calling Brittany Caldwell Brit C today so that we can distinguish her, but she is a cycling instructor at Cycle Bar. She is an NBA dancer for the Charlotte Hornets and the girls got moves. I mean, sh- you're just the best dancer. Um, so she's, she's a dance teacher and a choreographer and an athlete performance specialist. She has a passion for helping people become the best versions of themselves and guiding our youth to become who their hearts desire. I love watching your stories with the little girls dancing. I mean, the movement, it just, it makes my heart smile. She's originally from Hartsville, South Carolina, where nothing is finer. And this girl is a smarty pants. She and I went to the same university, except she has uh, more initials next to her name. So she has a Bachelor of Science in chemical engineering and a masters in exercise science focused on performance injury prevention and rehabilitation and to close out with Brit- Britzie her philosophy is when you focus on being your personal best your only competition lies within so clearly we've got two powerhouses sitting with us it's really yes awesome and, and i why are you guys yeah.
1: so smart
0: Yeah. And they're, I love that they're my teammates and they're our friends too. And they're our colleagues, our peers. So we could talk here all afternoon about these two, but let's get to the point here because we need to hear and learn from their experiences. So before we kick off, uh, getting to know you two better, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'd like to, we had chatted beforehand and,
3: What are we not going to talk about today? Politics. Yes. Because racism has nothing to do with politics.
0: Amen Mm -hmm. to that. Right? And Britt, I know you and I have talked about that a good fair share, but anything that you want to add about that?
2: Um, Just that I fully agree with that. And I hope that um, those that are listening will agree as well. So I'm excited for this conversation.
0: Yes. And I think it's very important just to get out there that, you know, this is such a time for us to learn and evolve and grow. And there is this natural tendency when you are obtaining knowledge to get on the defensive. And so we just want to put it out there to encourage people to, you know, take in a deep breath and, and exhale and put that defensive guard down and, particularly if you are white and tuning in, we kindly ask of you to have this open mind and to really listen uh, and reflect before making an assessment or taking a position on anything.
1: Before we start with uh, some questions we've arranged for Brit and Brit, um, I just want to say that it's been so eye-opening um, on social media to read the, the educational posts and the reposts, and I think that it's natural for people to get overwhelmed with the reposting and the consistency of it all, but I, in, the, in the same lane of not getting defensive, I think that this is gonna go on for quite some time and rightly so. And Lolo brought up a really good point when we had a conversation yesterday about Rosa Parks and how her stance on the bus took, how many days Lolo, was it 383?
0: I, I thought 381 or 382 days where they boycotted the bus system in order for a law to be passed. Right. And right. we're just looking at two weeks right now on social media. So,
1: exactly. So, for anyone who's facing that quote unquote burnout, <laughs> it's not a burnout thing. It's a keep fighting, keep learning, and change because. White people, we have to change. It's not the other way around. So I am so excited. I don't know how many times I can say that in this podcast, but I am so excited to hear your guys' perspective on everything and just want to thank you for sitting down with us today. And I think we're ready to roll. You guys ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. So, Britt, you want me to go with you first? No? Okay. Britt Northcutt. Why don't we kick it off with you? Because, and I got to give credit though to Brit C, because you shared this, that one of the best ways to kick off what may be perceived as an uncomfortable conversation about race or where, where to go is to simply ask, what was it like for you growing up? And so Britt, I'd love to hear from you about what was your experience growing up?
2: Um, I've been thinking about a lot how to answer that question, um, because I could talk about it for way longer than we have on this podcast. Um, But I am from a very, very small, small, um, Walmart was a big deal town (laughs) in North Carolina called Wadesboro. Um, Most people only know it if you're in North Carolina and you're driving to South Carolina to go to the beach. um, And that's the only time there's a lot of cars going down the street is during the summer uh, or traffic. So um, I have an interesting perspective with everything that's going on and how I grew up because I am biracial. Uh, My mother is white and my father is black and I am 27 years old. So if you think back to 27 years ago, um, that wasn't cool to have parents like that, Um, especially in a small town. And I wanna be as transparent as possible Um, because I think it's important. And these, some of the things that I've been talking about for the last two weeks, I've never said in 27 years. Um, But for me, I grew up with my mother and her side of our family, and I did not grow up with my father. So I experienced both privilege and racism my entire childhood, um, which a I know um, Brittany and I actually have that in common for different reasons, but I know she can speak on that as well. So while I was with my family and I was home, um, I, I was very privileged and a lot of people viewed me as white. Um, I have blonde hair, I have light skin and I have bluish green eyes, but I have very curly hair. Um, however, when I was younger, um, I never wore my hair natural ever, until I got to college. Um, I think it was unconscious embarrassment because it wasn't accepted for me to be who I was when I was a child. Um, And that's just kind of how it was. And so when my hair is straight, even at 27 years old, I have people who think that I'm white all the time. Um, On the flip side, I went to schools growing up. Um, My high school was predominantly black. My middle school was predominantly black. Um, and so at school, I didn't fit in with the white people and I didn't fit in with the black people. I was the Oreo in the middle. Um, and because I wasn't white enough to be white, but I wasn't black enough to fit in with the black girls at school. Um, so it was, it was very hard um, growing up that way and not really having resources to help me through that because it was in the 90s. Um, And as we can see, 2020, it's still an issue. So 30 years ago, it was a major issue. Um, But anyways, I, at school, experienced racism because white people would use the N-word against me, um, or not against me, to describe me. Um, They would talk about my parents and how I had a Black father. Um, And then on the flip side, I got it from Black people as well. Um, just in a different aspect. So my experience growing up was a little different um, and I've learned from it and I've kind of, I'm at peace with it. But it's just, it's very eye opening now to look back and see that I did experience both privilege and racism together. And I think it's helping me understand both sides Mm -hmm. and now go back and try and educate and explain to my family because I've never told them what it was like growing up because i didn't want to hurt them but i was now... i was just
1: going to ask you brit yep. um mm-hmm. if you ever voiced any of the uh bullying to your mother or if she would even know how to respond being a white woman um being a mother is hard enough on its own or was this something you kind of kept to yourself
2: I never said anything. Um, I actually had a conversation last week with my mom about this. And I, like I said, I'm 27. Um, But I just, I did, I didn't want to upset her. I didn't, because I knew that she would never understand because she's not like me. Um, And I didn't want to put that, put that on her. Um, And I think I
0: I just, as I sit here taking this in and what you're in the 90s, you don't have access to the internet, which is, I mean, on one side, it, it's, it's good, but you just, there's lack of education out there or awareness. So just that feeling of isolation and feeling alone and not knowing what to do.
1: Yes. The word isolating um came up when Britt was telling that story just now that must have been very lonely at times
2: for sure and living in the south and living in a small town there were not a lot of biracial people at all period so it was like a foreign idea that that even existed at that Mm time
0: yeah and we're gonna get that that's you know, the three of us are here. Jules, by the way, is out in Southern California. Sometimes we have to remind uh, people that. But I'm I'm here in Charlotte with with both Brits. And boy, yeah, living in the South, uh, it is certainly uh, shocking to say the least. And that's why I think it's so important of why why we're having this conversation. Because what we experience and see here is so different than what goes on in California, Oregon, any other state. I mean, we just want to share the experience of what we see here. So thank you, Britt, for telling us just a little bit about what it was like growing up. I want to ask Britt C. I'm sorry. Yeah, Britt C. Jeez, I'm getting myself little. I want to know, Britt C., you know, you and I have talked about your experience growing up, but Why don't you tell it to us so that everybody can learn a little bit?
3: So uh, my story is actually very similar to Brit, her story, because as a lighter skinned black female, like in the South, I remember, this is just a random, I remember being in the CBS asking my uncle, why am I so light skinned? And he was afraid to tell me in the store because he didn't want anyone to hear why, because of my race um, being very light-skinned, my brothers are darker skinned, my dad's darker skinned, but my mom was extremely pale. Um, again, being an, a biracial individual wasn't seen as a good thing because slavery was a thing, and biracialness happened because of rape. Wow, and so that's not something people want to admit. And it wasn't until last week that my dad finally told me I'm twenty eight, my dad finally told me, you know, what he thinks my his granddad looks like because he doesn't know so I mean you fast forward you know this is we go back actually to when I was a child um, as a lighter skinned female um, I have two darker skinned brothers Uh, my hair is not quite Brit's blonde but it's a blonder color it is not Brit's texture at all to the point where when I was a child um, I was not black enough to fit in with black people, but wasn't white enough to fit in with white people. But again, no one saw me as mixed anyway. And I used to wish that I was biracial because I thought maybe the white friends would like me and maybe my black friends would accept me. But I never, like I felt the same isolation. And, and there were several days where I came home from school crying because people picked on me because of how my hair looked. And, you know, at five years old, um, I was actually telling my dance studio kids about how this is the longest period of time thanks to quarantine that I've actually done my own hair naturally for months at a time, because I have had a relaxer since I was five years old to straighten my hair so that it looked closer to my white friends. So I'm finally, like I, I, I say this pretty frequently, that is the older I get, the more I undo what society has done to who I am.
0: Wow. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I, I,
3: so, I mean, that's just a, a brief synopsis of my upbringing and being having my brothers there being darker skin, I think, also created fear within some of my friends' family. So I never had friends come over to my house to play with me, but I could go over to their house. And there was one friend that I had whose parents wouldn't ever invite me to her house um, and so that always made me feel some type of way. And of course, my dad said, you know, you don't need friends. And I would just cry because I wanted the friends so badly. And I'm just, you know, you're a five, six year old child. You want to play with who your friends are playing with. But if someone doesn't allow you to play with them and it's like, well, then what did I do? And that's when you start to hear the slain words, you start to hear the slain things, you kind of start to understand I'm different, but it's just because the color of my skin.
0: Jules, I'm just taking this uh, yeah, all I'm in. Yeah, taking
1: it in. And also, I just—I've been doing a lot of reading about childhood trauma lately, and part of why childhood trauma sticks with you as long as it does is because it literally rewires how your brain operates. Um, and so, I'm just thinking that all of these instances with you guys, with feeling like you needed to change appearance to fit in not being able to express pain to parents, that is a rewiring that was occurring and has taken you into your adult life, strengthened you, yes, but now it's almost like in this time, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's starting to rewire again because now people are more aware, um, thank God, and they're on the path to learning and being better, but I just, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I, I'm very emotional, Lola and I are very emotional people. So I feel like I just have this rock in my stomach hearing about how you guys, what you went through growing up and just thanks for sharing that. Cause that, that was not an easy way to start off this conversation. I really commend you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I, Brit C and I chatted after uh, the ride for change and, you shared with me some of that and uh it's not i i watch what i say because there's nothing i will never know what that feels like right and i think that is something that as as a white female to acknowledge uh that this is not about you and it's not and it's hearing and trying to understand and it is not saying i'm sorry it's about realizing that there is empathy and no saying well let's let's figure out how we make it so that another person doesn't experience that and the three of us you know we went to college in the lovely south Mm -hmm. and uh for me i came i was um 18 years old and I was coming from Southern California. I had never been to the state of South Carolina. I made a blind decision. And I, in fact, used my VHS tape to check out the University of South Carolina. They sent me info, you know, and I said, yep, I'm going. And my father forewarned me and said, you know, it's going to be different there, Lauren. And I said, but dad, Columbia is the capital. It's a capital. So it's going to be yeah it's gonna have stuff to do but whoa was i i'm leading into this next question because i have never been in such a culture shock of when i arrived and yes the state of south carolina is beautiful and i and i am forever grateful of and i still i almost consider myself a south carolinian it's where i've lived the longest but boy oh boy is there segregation there
1: and, and Lolo, just to refresh our listeners, uh, yeah. you grew up your most of your teen years in Southern California, correct?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So and I and I went to a school. There were not not predominantly black, but I would say half Hispanic. There was about twenty five percent Asian, and then whites made up. You know, I mean, it wasn't Southern California is not blonde hair, blue eyes. We know that it's a lot of. Uh, darker haired you know it, it's a melting pot mm-hmm. so to speak but um yeah when i showed up on campus and you know i was a walk-on for the cross-country and track team mm-hmm. and so the on campus it's predominant or, i mean it's 50 50 mm-hmm. with population as far as white and and bipoc you know I, I love this term. Sorry. I I want to educate people, but I finally learned how to say the acronym, but Black Indigenous People of Color. So, uh, and on the track team, you know, it's, I would say, I, I don't know the exact stats, but I would say maybe it was 30% white and then 70% BIPOC. Uh, so, and that felt like family, but as far as, the actual university, I, I couldn't get over that. It was like white and black. And the, and this is 1998 when I showed up and there's a Confederate flag still being flown on the Capitol building. Wow. Okay. And then I was, um, and I'm sorry, I'm doing too much talking cause I'm going to pass it. This is about the Brit's voice, but I'm just going to pass it to them on this. Um. Uh, that, I I had never known about North versus South. And these Southern white girls calling me a northerner. And I'm sitting here thinking, do you know where Southern California is? What the (laughs) F is going on? So, anyhow, my long-winded I want to know about your college experience because Britt, you went to a competitor of ours, Go Bulldogs. I can't believe I'm saying that, but she went to University of Georgia. And then Brit C, she's a game cock, a fellow alumni. So I want to know about your experience in college.
3: So in college for me, my roommate was a white female from New York. And um, it was kind of funny. So she and I have come a very long way and I love her to death. And I remember she said to me something about how she didn't, hadn't had many black friends where she came from because there's like one black guy that went to her high school. And so I thought it was pretty dope to introduce her to my brothers, my brother's friends, who were all Black males, and she kind of like grew into like understanding a different culture. And she's like, "Oh, you know, they're awesome." I'm like, "Yeah, they are." However, she and I basically stuck together like, you know, for four full years, and we would go to our white friends' parties. And then sometimes she would come with me to my Black friends' parties, but sometimes she wouldn't. <laughs> but it was like, you know, she didn't really care. It's just a matter of like where we went, but it was like literally like there were no parties where it was like a good 50-50 mix of Black people, White people, anybody. And we were both engineers in college too. So like, I think, golly, my friend Darius, like my one engineering friend who was a Black male, and there are very few of us there too, so... Uh, Just as far as like congregating together, white people, black people, it was not very common. Um, Even the sorority and the Greek life, you have your row of white fraternity and sorority houses. And then you have dorms where the black fraternities and sororities would uh, be. And so and we were friends with people in each in both sororities and fraternities on black people and white people. And it was always interesting. Even on game days, you would see like a group of black people, a big group of white people, another group of people who were kind of like intermingled. And she and I were the kind of people where we kind of just bounced around with whoever we wanted to be with or like wherever the energy was, honestly, because you you follow good energy. And so that's how she and I kind of navigated through our four years, because coming from a predominantly white town, where my high school, people would go to private schools, so they didn't go to my predominantly or more minority-based high school. Um, So coming from there, I was like, well, you know, I wonder who I'm going to fall into a group with when I get here. Mm. And she and I were able to just kind of stay ourselves. And so we kind of fell back and would go in and out because there was no just mesh of people who were like her and I as a duo. And so we kind of made our own with Pick and choose where we it went yeah. It's
0: almost like you're making your own sorority. <laughs> right? <laughs> me, me. It, isn't it? But it's that's what I think people need to hear. And I can't wait to hear from you, Britt. Are you getting a little feedback, Jules? No. Uh-uh. No? Okay, cool. Sorry. I was just double checking. Uh, but it's getting back to the topic is People who don't live in the South don't see this. So when they say, oh, what's there's no racism, there's no segregation, come on out here, man. Yeah. Come out out here and
3: go to a college game day in the South and you'll see everything you need to see. You can pick Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia. Go to a college game day and I guarantee you, you'll see exactly.
0: Yeah, and and people okay. don't know how to talk about it particularly people like myself, a white female, not knowing this is very interesting what I'm observing, but I had no idea how to ask my black friends, mm-hmm. you know, why is this happening? I, I was uneducated on it and I also, I didn't seek it out, but um, that obviously is changing. And so I wanna hear though with Brit I know you had somewhat of a similar experience, but what was it like at Georgia?
2: Um, very similar to what Brittany just said. Mine was interesting because I, when I went to college, I was obviously on the volleyball team, predominantly white sport still. Um, so my roommates and majority of my teammates were white. Um, but the interesting part was we were in Georgia but my three best friends still to this day um, were my roommates, Michigan, New York, and California. That's where they were from. So they were in a culture shock when they got to the University of Georgia because um, one of them is from Buffalo, New York. So she was a little more used to the small minded, small town mentality. But uh, my friends from Michigan and California were like, what the hell is going on? Down here. Um, And it was funny because I was so used to it, I didn't even think about it. And so when I started talking with them, it like brought up, and I was like, I am like numb to how things are. Um, So we had a lot of interesting conversations, just our group alone um, and our team, because it's like the athlete world and the actual college world. Uh, at the university, they're very, very different worlds because a lot of athletes are black. And so if you're an athlete, you're around a lot of black people, whether it's study hall, whether it's your classes, because we took a lot of the same classes, um, in the weight room, like that's just how it was. And so it would always be funny that, it's funny you mentioned game college game days because you have the athletes who are tailgating which is probably more mingled still not completely because you do have separation with different sports, um, but a little more um, inclusive for other people. And then you look at the regular students and it is all the white sorority girls and the white fraternity guys. And then you have the black sorority girls and the black fraternity guys. And it's, it's, It's just a very eye-opening experience when you think you're going to a university for college and there's so many people from so many different places, but at the same time, there's still so much separation. So it's funny for me to talk to people that don't go to school in the South because I'm like, wow, that's, it's a very interesting um, perspective to have because all I know is how it is here.
0: Yeah, and I I think personally this is where it's taught. It, it uh, habits are caught, not taught, you know, and so you mm-hmm. see that um, it's passed down within generations, and it's it's still so prevalent here, of uh, as far as segregation and racism. It's I mean we could talk for an hour about just that alone so i'm just i wanted to share that so that people tuning in who haven't and and we love the south don't we? don't like it's a great place to live and um there are great people here but it's just it's acknowledging what we've seen and what we've experienced and so jules
1: what are You taking it in because you didn't, you've never lived in the South. What, what Uh, are your thoughts? Admittedly, I'm that person that is, would be completely smacked in the face, culture shocked because I grew up in kind of a, I call it like a blue bubble, right? Being so close to Los Angeles and, um, I actually went to fashion school and I did not have a normal college experience. I didn't have fraternities. We didn't have um, sororities. We didn't have dorms, but I did make two friends in college, both ironically from right outside of Buffalo. So when you said that, I started thinking about them. Um, My friend Sabrina was biracial and my friend Andrew was white, but uh, out gay. And both of them said that they came to California to kind of escape the mentality and the atmosphere of their town outside of Buffalo. And when they would tell me about stories of um, racism, gay bashing, it was just so such a, a foreign thing to me. I said, how can there be people like that? Because I'd never grown up with it at all. Um, I am so... Privileged and lucky that I mean, I definitely saw inappropriate things and things were that that were not right. But just hearing about how the segregation is in the South currently and even today, not even close. And yeah, I'm just absorbing this all. Yeah.
0: So why don't we talk about what we have learned in recent weeks? I want to know. You know, this, what are you most grateful for learning about yourself during the last three, four weeks? Because what a time it has been. Does anyone have a preference on going first?
2: Um, for me, I think there's two sides. Um, I have learned that I think we can be hopeful for where we are headed as a country and just within my team, within my friends. um, I feel like people, and I I have a love-hate relationship with social media in general, Mm -hmm. but right now, I fully believe social media is what started and catapulted people's eyes to being opened for the first time ever. And I say that with the actual video, the full video of George Floyd, um, because I mean, I have people I've been in like, I have relationships with them for years. And I've had conversations with them for the first time ever, about real things and that are that have substance that can actually not only improve our friendship, but improve how they approach their other circles and how it is at work. Um, So just, I think I've learned that Full transparency, I was very angry at a lot of people when all of this first started. Um, And I think I admit that and I take responsibility for it because it was a lot for everyone. It still is a lot for everyone. But now that I've actually had dialogue with people, it's showing that it's okay to be angry, but it's like I can't hold it against you. It's not going to make it any better. It's not going to make it any better to continue to live in the past. And all we can do is move forward. So what I've learned is that people are open-minded and I've also learned that people aren't. And I've learned to spend my time and my conversation, the tough conversations with the people who are willing and want to be open minded and listen to me and the others, honestly, I pray for them and I hope one day we can have those conversations. But For now, I'm focusing my energy on the people that want to make this a better situation for everyone.
1: Damn. As I just said a prayer. Amen,
0: sis. Amen. Brit C, how about you?
3: i would say the biggest eye-opener for me would be the power of your voice i don't think i ever truly understood the power of silence in a time as we're in right now what i call revolutionary time um your voice can do many things you can scream and holler at people you can go tone up you can keep it monotone. You can do all of the things, but using your voice in the best way that you can is how we're going to be able to deliver messages. And so for me, my utilization of my voice has been from an educational standpoint. Again, I speak from a Black woman of privilege. Um, Instead of me, what I would say is crucifying someone for you know, not wanting to listen. That's what I was. I mean, at first, like Britt said, like I was angry because I wanted everyone to understand. (laughs) Honestly, I think we sat here one day for hours and talked and cried and just discussed things that. My friends growing up would never understand, and I can't expect them to jump off the wheel and understand it without me educating them on what I've been through. So no one's ever looked at me and say, well, Britt, what did you think when I said this? You're not gonna ask me that today because everybody's uncomfortable. So we're mm-hmm. all uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. But instead of me waiting for you to ask, I'm using my voice to tell you. And so I use my personal platform to share stories of my experiences, share stories of my brother's experiences. I'm working on sharing stories of people around me, Black women in the cheer community, um, because everybody has different experiences that can better help the people around us understand. Because my hometown is so small and so segregated that the people that i grew up with that i was begging to be friends with that didn't want to be friends with me because of my skin color they don't necessarily see what i see as a black female so and then they don't have people like me in their circle to ask and so i've tried my best to open my doors open my social media to say if you have questions i'm taking my patience and willing to on help you understand what it is, what we're fighting here. Because again, this isn't a political battle. This is racism. This is everybody versus racist is what it is. And so to focus on just the riots, because you see police, it's like, no, someone who has racism in their skin happens to be wearing a uniform and affecting someone of my skin color. That's it it goes back to racism, which starts in your heart, and so utilizing our voices in different ways to help people understand is just like I think my dad said, my dad's kinda indifferent about everything that's going on um And he kind of questioned why I was being very outspoken about it and got nervous for me. Like my black father got nervous about me speaking out about being a black woman and dealing with racism because he was concerned. And he said, well, it's been like this for years. It's been like this for years. You know, people aren't going to change. People aren't going to change. But I said, Daddy, the difference now Is more people are starting to understand the revolution is happening because people are starting to look from the inside and say, well, wait, what little thing am I doing that may be racist that I didn't even know saying something like, oh, can I touch your hair? Or, oh, I wish my skin color was the same as yours or, oh, um, you know, like the little things like you talk black or you sound or you talk white or you sound white like those are little things that people do to like, like minor racist things that people just didn't know was incorrect or you're articulate for a black woman. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) Does that mean Mm -hmm. that because I'm black and I have intellect as you, so you sing that makes me seem different than my peers. So again, utilizing your voice is what I've learned, the power of it on so many different levels in the past two weeks. I think I took a rabbit hole there, but yeah.
0: No, I, I, amen, man. Like, This is why we're having this conversation. Right. And to learn from you and and you about saying your voice. That is the same with why myself as a white female I used to look at my voice of oh I'm not going to make a difference. What I say is not going to matter. And I realized, well, yeah, if you have that mentality Then yeah, it's not, and that's. But I will never understand. I, I will never understand what you have been through because I haven't lived it. But it doesn't make it that I will sit back anymore. And
3: it speaks volumes about you, you and Jules both. The fact that you guys are open to listening to us and hearing because again, people are getting tone deaf because they're like, well, we've heard it, we've heard it, and it's like. I can talk to another Black female about this all day. I can talk to Britt about this all day, but me and Brett alone can't do this. It takes white people, Black people, Asian people, nice people, like anybody. It takes everybody. Like we, it's a team effort here. Like we literally, stronger together has been a Black Lives Matter movement. Also, little slogan. It is so true because having more people utilizing their voices, as we are as Black individuals too, like. That's where the change is starting to happen, like even so far, like the arrests that are happening, some of the laws that are going into place, some of the things that are being reevaluated in their system, Mm -hmm. like, it's because all of our voices are coming together instead of just the black community.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think to go back to speaking on understanding, I think it's important to explain that black people never expect white people to understand what they've been through what black people want is for white people to start to open their eyes listen and see things from a different lens and to be open to a new perspective because i think with anything in life it's hard to sometimes see another person's side of things um and when it's uncomfortable and race and racism and anything on the topic of it is uncomfortable for i would say 99.9 of people um whether you are black white hispanic asian whatever it is because it's been just put under the rug for so long and i think that's all that we want right now is to just be listened to be heard and for people to try to understand perspective and not situations.
1: And, so. and circling back, taking down the defense.
2: Yes, yes. Because
1: I think it's a very human thing to try and relate to somebody when they're going through something. I'm, I'm, I'm. I do this constantly. I say, oh, like you know, if someone's telling me something happened to them, just as a light example, oh, I had a terrible class the other day. My instinct is to come up with a story about my own terrible class, so they don't feel. Alone in their moment, but this is so not that. And I think that's on the harsh end of it, where we get people saying, well, I grew up with struggle and all lives matter and things like that. And it's, it's not the time to defend and compare, but like what you said to listen and educate and open your eyes, change the lens.
2: Absolutely.
0: For real. Okay, I want to know, well, and I know Jules wants to know, but let's talk about fitness because you girls are, I should say, it's not girl. I call people girls. You ladies have your powerhouses in your area of work where we've seen what you can do. And if you haven't taken one of their classes, you're missing out. But um What have you overcome in the fitness industry?
2: Being fully transparent for me, um, a lot of people in the fitness industry think I'm white. So I personally can't speak for things that I have overcome. And I speak for this. um, One of my teammates here, and I would say that like I've had this conversation. Um, I love her. But she has she thought I was white, and I just had a conversation with a teammate last week. He thought I was white, he thought I was a tan white girl. so I um I can't speak to things that I have personally overcome, but I can speak to things that I see that I don't think other people might see, based off of just it's out of sight out of mind, and to speak on the word privilege if it's not a problem to you um then you kind of look the other way and it's not a problem at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I mean, I can look around at fitness studios just in Charlotte alone and there is not a lot of diversity. Um, And I don't think it might not even be intentional, but I think we're at a point now that that that's not enough. It's not enough to say it's not intentional that we don't have a lot of diversity on our team because we have to be better than that. Um, And I speak for myself being a leader at my studio um, and I've talked to Lolo about this, um, that it's a goal of ours and it shouldn't, the crazy thing is it shouldn't be a goal. It should just be how it is, but we have to start somewhere. And if we look at it as, wow, why are things the way they are? Why have we been doing so poorly at this? We're just gonna keep talking in circles. And I think action is where it starts. Um, And you have to keep one foot in front of the other rather than just standing in place. Um, But I think Brittany will probably have more to say about it.
3: Um, I definitely think you're totally right. And I, the irony of all of this happening is that I had a conversation with my guy friend from college about diversity in the fitness field the week before George Floyd came happen. I called him out of frustration because there's a brand that um, I love their product so, so, so much. And my, I called him and the thing I said is I'm really confused as to why all you have to do is have a pretty face and blonde hair and you're, you're an ambassador for this brand. And it rubbed me the wrong way because for whatever reason, this particular week, I was paying attention just to the lack of diversity in their social media feed. And at one point in my life, I wanted to be a full-blown fitness influencer. Like that was what I wanted to do for maybe a solid year. Um, and I turned my back on it because what it looked like in the industry to be an influencer and have all the brands and this, that, and the third you had to be a blonde, white, female with bright colored eyes. And when you look at this particular brand's page, that is their brand's page. And I'm like, here I am. I work my butt off for my body. I work my butt off for my figure. I literally have done a lot. So, you know, one of our coworkers put me on the brand. And then from there, I have an entire group of people that I'm involved with who are also like, Oh, Brett, you put us on this. And so all they do is, you know, send the email and you're an ambassador now. And then you see who gets plastered on their social media. And it's like, I've done a lot for this brand and I've gotten rebuttal from them for, you know, not feeling for them saying something that I did wasn't enough. And I'm like, meanwhile, Joe Schmo who just happens to have a six pack and tan skin is doesn't even work out very much is, but it's like, you know, representing this brand. I'm like, what why and so i think Mm -hmm. representation as an african-american female in the fitness industry is very undervalued um and a lot of and even like oh there's a guy that i've been in conversation with and another thing is ironically three months ago he's a white male and we had a conversation on white privilege he reached out to me just to talk about it and i'm one of those open-minded people where i'm like oh let's chat and as this is all starting to unfold he said you know It's wild that I look at my own business and say, like, where's the diversity here? And Mm -hmm. he's like kind of slapping himself on the wrist because he's like, why? Why did I miss this important piece of my business? Why do I look at my business page? And it looks nothing like the clientele I wish it would look or, you know, so I think representation as a black female or a black male in the fitness industry is just not there. Um, I think your fiance could also speak on that term as well. Um, what it takes to get representation as a fitness influencer, as a black person, is just so much more.
0: I'm sitting here nodding my head because I took that uh, Chrissy King, a black female who put on a um, anti-racism within the wellness workplace yesterday, I took it. It was unbelievable. It was a two hour course. She's been doing this work since 2017. Uh, forgive me that I don't have, you know, more details about who she is, but I was thinking the entire time, why in the two decades that I've worked in health and wellness, have I not thought, sought this out, this type of diversity training, mm-hmm. why wasn't it provided for me? Like, I went as far back of, why wasn't it provided for me at school? Like, why hey, is there one? Yeah. I, um, but then just through the different companies that I've worked with, or like with working for the city of Charlotte as a health coach, why the F have I not been provided this? But I, I'm not going to point the finger. I I recognize my own fault in it. And so I'm doing the work and, it, and I appreciate you two for helping me, but it's like the curtain is lifted and I'm going, Jesus Christ, this is not like, this is so off kilter. And so, yes, I can, I see, I can just only see the tip of the iceberg of what, what you can encounter Mm -hmm. and the lack of diversity within the fitness industry as a whole. Um, Sorry, real was quick, causing. yeah, no, no,
1: real quick. I just wanted to touch on um, Brit. C just brought up um, Brittany N's fiance. So I don't know if you want to speak on his behalf, Brit. But have you? Has he voiced anything from his perspective, being uh, a black man in the fitness industry? Because he is a personal trainer. Is that
2: correct? Yeah, he is a personal trainer, but he does majority group fitness. fitness. Um, He has his own gym. However, and to be honest, during this time, have we talked about it? No, because we've talked about it so many times before. So it's not new. And it's not, we hope that there will be change in the future. But it's just, and I think this goes not just in the fitness industry, um, but being black, you have to work harder to get to where you are. And that doesn't matter if you're in fitness. It doesn't matter if, as Brittany was talking about in engineering, it's an all aspects because you are already 10 steps behind before you even get started. And I've had multiple conversations because he educates me a lot. As I said, a lot of people think I'm white, A lot Mm -hmm. of people growing up, I didn't have conversations about things like this. Um, And so he has educated me about things that I personally might not have noticed because they haven't affected me. Mm -hmm. And so I like to be very open and honest about that because I want people to know that I I'm learning just like you are. And I know Brittany can say the same thing sitting next to me is no one has all the answers. But I think in the fitness industry alone, um, just the just to get representation of whether it's to whether it's a brand that is um, selling products or if it's just anything ambassadorships. Um, like Brittany said, there's just not a lot of representation. I, I'm biased. Um, I think I have a very attractive fiance. Um, that's not biased. But, no,
1: that's facts. Uh that's yes. facts, Brittany.
2: But <laughs> even just like things that we'll see on Instagram and opportunities that are there that he'll go for and doesn't get. And I'm not saying he deserves every opportunity out there. I just know of certain things that it's like a, it's not a secret. Yeah, it's a slap in the face. That's a good answer of just because he's a black male. Right. So.
1: Oh, I just, I'm so mad I'm not in the same room with you guys. Cause I like, weirdly, I feel like I'd be doing like a, a handhold right now with one of you or all of you. <laughs> um, I I want to kind of get to the end of our questions here. And um, one of the ones we have written down is, I'm going to open-ended, whoever wants to respond, one or both. Um, With the knowledge you've, uh, you know, accumulated newly over the past two weeks in supporting Black Lives Matter, is there anything we want to put out there to people who are looking... Um, into how to further support or get started in support, any organizations, any educational um, books or movies you guys have recently seen that you can recommend, uh, open to it all.
2: I can go first. Um, As far as educating yourself, personally, I think talking to people and listening to experiences is the best way to get started and to be honest, I think if you can't think of one person that is does not look like you to have a conversation with, then you do need to look within and ask yourself why you don't have someone in your life that you think you could ask those questions to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just me being honest. And I think it's important to look at your own circle. And then being open to listen to whoever that person is And to maybe not respond right away because your response is one thing, but how you listen and how you take action following that is a lot more important. And I have to say this, um, just my personal belief, I would rather you not post one single thing on Instagram and do the work behind the scenes. And I think that there's a lot of judgment going on, um, in our world, in general, we Instagram is a place full of judgment. It is, um, again, why I have a love-hate relationship with it. But right now, I know, and I know this from my personal friends who have felt attacked by people, and that's Black people or white people, about they're not posting enough on Instagram and they're not sharing. And I, everyone has their way of helping. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think that you have to figure out and have a conversation with yourself of how can I do my part if you like to watch movies and you like to watch documentaries go on Netflix there are so many that are posted I just watched 13th for the first time highly highly recommend that if you haven't seen it um if you're not that type of person then don't do that if you're a book person read a book if you like to talk to people have a conversation if you have the financial means to donate donate. But don't, I, my fear right now is that people are getting bombarded with pressure to do certain things. And I'm worried that it's going to put a mask over the whole situation because I know for me, I've taken breaks from Instagram because I feel overwhelmed. Right And I just hope that people can keep their foot on the gas when it gets uncomfortable and overwhelming because Again, that's right now, it's one of my biggest fears is that it's going to become too much and too much pressure. So I want to share with people to stop judging because we're all trying to do our part and everybody looks different doing their part.
1: Yes. And everybody learns different. So I love what you said about if you are into movies, do the movies. If you feel you need to read, read. And I love having the real conversations too. So thanks so much for that input course,
3: I have to piggyback off Brit and say, I mean, she hit it all. And uh, one of my personal biggest ways to attack this is, you know, again, us- utilizing my voice on social media has been saying, start with asking questions. You know, the first question is, how, what was it like for you growing up? And that's, again, like Brit said, for me, I learned through listening to people talk. So I'm, I don't watch very many movies, but I did do the thing. I did educate myself with 13th because I too don't know the system. So I decided to learn if I'm going to talk about something, I want to know what I'm talking about before I speak on it. And so I'm not a book reader. So you're never mm-hmm. going to catch me on my social media page, telling people to read a book or sharing a post that says, here's a book should read because that's not me. You know, if you know me and you know that I don't read, you'd be like, well, you just put that up there because so. Doing things like Britt said that are out of your heart, doing the things that you need to do. So, my attack at this has been attack. I don't like that word, that sounds aggressive. I'm not attacking people. (laughs) I'm very nice. Um, She's so nice. I promise you, if you DM me, it's going to be nice. But my personal method at going about this has been to the people who've been asking, How can I help? instead of me tagging them in every post on social media that tells them how to help i've been responding with saying you know this is my advice on how you could help or this is i could share stories with you if you'd like for me to i'd be happy to have a conversation with you i even opened up my social media which is honestly it's been a stretch but i feel like you know if we're in a revolutionary time you do the hard things you do the uncomfortable things i said there's anybody who doesn't have anyone close to them to talk to and have the hard conversation reach out to me. Ask the question to me. I don't care what color you are, where you're from, how you look. I want to help. And that's my way of helping, again, understanding that everybody doesn't have the same experiences as us. And I can't expect you to know what it feels like. But if you want to know, I don't mind telling you. Like, it's not going to hurt me to tell you what I've experienced growing up. It's just going to honestly help me get a weight off my chest. Um, and so, again, like, being able to listen without intent to respond, being able, being opening to listen and being open to listening. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it at this point in today's world, being an ear is more important than using your voice sometimes and understanding if that is you, if all you need to be is an ear to help enact change, then be that ear. Because again, if you were just responding out of a rebuttal or out of like, well, this is what happened to me. It's like, What are we, really? nothing's going to get accomplished there. So we can go back and forth about, you know, what it's about and where you are. But if you just listen to someone, a person of color and find out what their experiences are nine times out of 10, you're going to have a shift in heart. And if you don't have a shift in heart, then at that point, I should just kind of throw in the towel and say, well, I pray for you and we keep it moving. Right.
1: Wow.
0: Aren't you, I I just... I am so grateful to just have scratched the surface with both of you. Like, just to take this in, Jules, how are you feeling?
1: Well, I just, as I was listening to um, Brittany C. just talking right now, I was thinking that her message so aligns with what she's doing today. And I'm so thankful, again, that you guys decided to have this conversation with us because... You know, Lolo and I joke that we only have seven listeners, but the truth is, is we have this amazing platform through Cycle Bar to have people listen to us and our voices. And I'm just, I know, I know when this episode drops that people's eyes will open wider. And I, what a valuable gift you guys have given us today. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you for allowing us to be here. And I think, it, again, it says a lot about you, too, to be open to having the uncomfortable conversations and doing it so a lot of, a lot of people can hear.
0: But it, to me, I just want to say, you know, initially two weeks ago, maybe it was it felt uncomfortable. Nothing about today. I am I am like thriving and going, okay, I want more, I want more, I want more. I And just learning that, and I wanna say this because it is okay to make a mistake as a white person of I am committed to this, of I am gonna continue to show up and to do my best and I will be corrected. And I will, I'm gonna make mistakes and sometimes say the wrong thing But that is not going to to stop us from having conversations like this, Mm -hmm. because that's the only way to make progress. And, um, you know, Jules, I joked with you about you being a spin instructor. And if you had stopped the first time when somebody told you, you did it wrong. Right. You know, you wouldn't be where you are today. You kept getting back up. So... Before we throw some shine, I just want to say, do not retreat. And that is something I have learned through many people. But this is not something that is just going to go away. This is something that's for the rest of our lives. But we can change the way people think and people act. Uh, but this is, you know, forever evolving. Um, like um,
1: Brit, Britt said keep your foot on the gas and take care of yourself.
0: Yes. Yes. So, okay. We always close out with throwing some shine because, you know, when we (laughs) highlight the good within something, whether it's a person, place or thing, we start to see the good, feel the good. So we want to give each of you, uh, if there's someone in mind that you want to throw some shine to, or if it's, a business or a topic, um, anything to spread some positivity uh, and that you want to highlight, we'd love to, to pass the floor to you.
3: I'd like to throw some shine on a friend of mine. Her name's Brecken, and she is a white girl who has taken it upon herself to do the education, to educate herself, and she... She's what I call a rider. Like I call her like a rider. Like she is like foot on the gas and saying this is affecting my friends. And I always joke with Brecken. I'm like Brecken, like you, you like you like us. That's why I just tell her. And it's like she is here for the cause. She is here. She went to the protest with us. Um, also shout out. You know, well, it's like having that support from someone unexpected unexpected well and honestly like again from her it was expected because she's like you know your friends on the track team she's like one of those friends where it's like she's just always like we're always like you get it
1: yeah like you get
3: it you know and so to have her voice speaking to her audience whether that's in her house at her work in her environment wherever she may be in this world it's like I always trust that she's got our back in a situation where we're trying to make a radical change against racism here so like that means a lot to me. Shouts you out Brecken, you need to know it. Go Brecken!
0: <laughs> okay, Miss Britt.
2: Uh, this is tough. Ironically, um, I also wanna throw shine um, on my little sister. She's 14 um, and she's my half sister. So she is fully white, um, but she has taught me so many things. Just in the last two years, um, and again, she's 14, so between the ages of 12 and 14, when I'm 13 years older than her, she is the most um, supportive teenager. I don't even consider her a teenager because I feel she's so... we We connect on a different level. It's really odd, but I'm so appreciative. But she is just a good human being, and I think it's important... to to recognize that there are good human beings out there of all colors, because I think our judgment gets clouded at times of people are like, well, I'm white, so people hate me and I feel guilty for being white or I'm black, so people don't like me because of the color. There's just so many negative things. And I think that during a time like this, focusing on positive um, people and situations is super important. Um and she just she supports, I mean, whether it is what's going on right now, she also supports um LGBTQ. She also she's just I'm so so grateful to call her my sister. I know she's gonna listen to this. What's um, her name? Aniston. Um but okay, Rekin um, and
1: Aniston are both amazing names. I'm putting those in my baby <laughs> name journal. Sorry.
2: <laughs> but yeah, um I just to be 14 and to think about when I was 14 and my, I mean, I think about my voice when I was 24 and it wasn't, I didn't have one, I didn't use it. And just to see where she is, whether it's educating people in our family or taking up for me because she knows that she's white but she has a half black sister and just, it's so amazing. And I hope, um, it gives me hope for her generation that there are more people like her, Um, because that's truly what's gonna change the world at the end of the day, is the generations, not just right now, but the ones that are younger than us and that are willing to defy against what everyday expectations have, have become in our world. So, love you, sister.
0: Well, I feel so good, Jules. How do you feel?
1: Me too. I wish we could all go out for a mimosa now.
0: I know. I know.
1: Okay, so we're going to wrap it up you guys with some quick fire questions. Quick fire questions. That's hard to say. Um, I'm going to go Brit first. Brit N. And then we're going to go right into Brit C. Are you guys ready? No. I don't think so. (laughs) If they're easy peasy.
0: We want to get to know you better.
1: So First thing that comes up to your mind one to two words. There's no right, there's no wrong. Okay. All okay. right. So, astrological sign
2: Scorpio. Capricorn. Okay. Wait, mine? Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we restart? We'll, okay. We'll restart Was it. Pause
3: long enough.
1: Yeah. All right. Rapid we'll- fires, take two. So okay. sorry. Don't worry. They st- who, Who's starting? How
0: about How about Brit North Cut goes? Do we want Do you think we need to do the rapid fire? No, we can just close out. We can but just this close is out. Funny.
1: Wait, can we do it anywhere? Wanna, iPhone, wait, or? we
0: want to do it. Okay, iPhone, no, they want to do it. Okay. We could use this even as a promo. I think
1: you know? it's funny. Oh my god, yes. Okay. Okay.
0: So okay. we're going to ask you the questions first. Brit Brit Caldwell goes, or sorry, Britt Northcutt goes first. And then we'll ask you. So, wow, I'm okay, here we go, Britt. Okay. Or sorry, here we go, Jules.
1: <laughs> All <laughs> right, take two. Astrological sign. Capricorn. Last Netflix
2: show you watched. Um. Oh my gosh, what's his name? The. <sighs> Jeffrey Epstein documentary.
1: Ooh, I've been meaning to watch that too. I don't know if I have the stomach for it yet. Okay. I don't know if you do either. Okay. <laughs> Food you can't live without. Tacos. Favorite sports idol.
2: Ooh, tough. Kobe Bryant.
1: Yes. Go-to workout.
2: Hit training.
1: Mm-hmm. Early riser or night owl. Early riser middle name
2: Simone oh, gorgeous okay
1: dog or cat neither Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> wow. sorry oh that was that was ballsy <laughs> sorry.
0: yeah okay Jules you're gonna ask Brit C right
1: yes Brit C are we ready I'm ready okay astrological sign Capricorn Netflix show you watched last Dear white people. Food you can't live without. (laughs) Tacos. Ooh. Favorite sports idol. Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Go-to workout. Strength training. Early riser or night owl. Early riser. Middle name.
3: I have two. Marcine Sparks. Fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Snaps.
1: Oh my gosh.
3: Dog or cat?
1: Dog. Love Dog it. See, you guys killed it.
2: That was fun. But you did 13. Well, that
0: that thank you, ladies, so much for taking so much time. We got we're gonna keep throwing shine your way, and maybe, you know, down the road we get back together. Um
1: Jules, any closing thoughts? Just that not only are you guys beautiful inside and out, but what brilliant things were said today. So thank you times a million. Thanks for helping us throw shine and our listeners. We can't wait to share this conversation with you. Thank you to the Brits.
0: Yes. Sorry. One last thing, social media handles. Where can people find you? Brit Northcutt.
2: Brittany Simone fitness.
0: That's on Instagram. And then miss Brit Caldwell.
2: Brittany M.S.C.
0: And yes, it is. We'll put that in the show notes so that listeners, you can follow them and be inspired by them and learn from them and share about their experiences. But thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back with episode five coming up.
1: Yeah. All right, you guys shine on.
0: Shine on.